We started a new sermon series last week, one that I'm pretty excited about, uh, studying the book of Samuel. And we started with a, a woman that maybe some of you had not heard of, who Hannah. Um, and now we're going to move to talk about her son, Samuel, who at this point is just a boy. It's just a boy. Um, of course, he's going to, throughout the book, grow old, be involved in a lot of ministry, and actually the book will record, I think in chapter 25, his, his death in time. But here he is as a young man, and he is serving in the tabernacle. His mom dropped him off as she promised the Lord, and he was raised after he was weaned, so as a young boy, uh, raised there in the tabernacle, in the temple, and he is surrounded by a lot of unfaithful people, and yet he remains faithful. He's, in a sense, a light in a dark place. You know, it's, it's, we're always called to be faithful, no matter what. But it's all the more difficult to be faithful when you're surrounded by faithlessness and unfaithfulness. Yet God calls us, regardless of the culture that surrounds us, regardless of the time period we live in, regardless of the spiritual leaders that we have and their depth of faith, he calls us to be faithful. And that's what we see. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to look at 12 to 26. It will be on the screen. Be faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness. Be faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness. As I mentioned, we're not going to cover every verse in 1 and 2 Samuel. We'll be uh, sort of moving through it. We'll try to go in in order, chronological order, but we won't cover every single verse. So we're starting here in chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to, eat, to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treat the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew, up, grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing, that, hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading. 
If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to guess this is a story that a number of you have never heard before, perhaps, never studied before, so there may be some aspects of this story that need a little explaining, but this is where we're going to go. We're going to look at Hophni and Phinehas in 12 to 17, and they are faithless, faithless. And then we'll look at Samuel in 18 to 21, and that last verse, 26, Samuel is faithful, and then we'll look at Eli, the high priest, in 22 to 25, and I think we'll call him unfaithful, unfaithful in certain areas of his life. But first, let's look at these two sons of Eli. Uh, We learn about them, Hophni and Phinehas. Notice we don't typically name our kids Hophni or Phinehas anymore, right? We name our sons Samuel, but we don't typically name them Hophni and Phinehas because they're not very good men. They're not good priests, for sure. He describes them, the author of this, as worthless men, literally sons of Belial, Um, You may remember that Hannah, in speaking to Eli, says, please don't take me as a worthless woman. And literally, she's saying, don't take me as a daughter of Belial. Well, here it says that these are sons of Belial. Belial became, later on, became another name for Satan, for the devil. But here it probably just means, as as it's translated, worthless men. They are what Hannah is clearly not. But more than that, it says specifically, verse 12, They did not know the Lord. They are faithless. They're not believers. Not necessarily that they don't believe there's a God. They just don't care. They live as if there isn't one. They live for themselves. Now, you read this custom about the three-pronged thing going into the pot, then pulling out the meat, and what's that all about? Let me just sort of summarize what's going on there. So typically, you would take your goat Uh, to the temple, your sheep, whatever it may be that you're offering to the Lord. And the best part of the animal went as an offering to the Lord, which would include the fat, by the way. The best part goes to the Lord, and part of it was for the priests, and part of it was allowed to be eaten by the sacrificer. We saw that in the last section. Well, already by this time, the custom was out of line with the scripture. They're boiling the meat, And they stick the prong in there, and the best part of the meat typically then goes to the priests. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So the custom has already been corrupted from, at this point in time, about 1,000 B.C. But it's even worse than that. So Hophni and Phinehas, being the greedy, gluttonous people they are, they don't even want it to wait until it's boiled, and they don't want to lose the fat. So they're saying, no, give me the meat now so I can roast it and eat it, on my own. Don't burn up the fat. I want it all for myself. And even the people are saying, can we at least burn the fat? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. That portion belongs to the Lord. And basically the priests and their men say, if you don't give it, we will take it by force. Can you imagine getting beat up by priests (laughs) as you're trying to offer a sacrifice to the Lord? And the writer summarizes it and says, there's sin was very great in the sight of the Lord. They are using their spiritual authority for selfish gain. They're faithless. 
Not just unfaithful, but faithless. Just to look more deeply at some of their sins, clearly there is the sin of gluttony here. Uh, They are taking this high office of serving the Lord and are using it to basically fill their bellies with food that they like. They prefer the fat, they prefer the roasted meat, and so they're going to force their way. They're violent men. You would think of all people, priests should be gentle, (laughs) compassionate, sympathetic to the people that they're serving. They're supposed to help people into the presence of the Lord. But they will take by force what they want. They're two thugs, essentially, running a little mob in the tabernacle. We learn later on in the passage, verse 22, that they are sexually immoral. They're using their authority to seduce the women who work at the tabernacle. These are married men, by the way. So they're adulterous, lecherous men using their authority to manipulate and to seduce the women who work there. And they're supposed to be priests. They're using the office of Aaron, the office that points us right to our great high priest, Jesus Christ, for evil. This is a spiritual low point. (laughs) This is a spiritual low point for Israel. Um, And let me just say, by way of application, could it be that we are, in a sense, seeing a bit of a spiritual low point for our own country? Uh, Gallup recently (laughs) let out a poll that said more than 50%, for the first time in the history of the United States, more than 50% of people are not connected to a church, synagogue, or mosque, to no religious community. And of course, the majority would be churches. And the younger the generation goes, the, less the, percent, the higher the percentage of not being involved is, which means we're not heading in a good direction, we're heading in a direction further and further away from any connection to the Christian church. That's not the only measure, of course, of spiritual vitality, but it is a measure, right? No connection to a church. You can turn on a lot of TV preachers right now and find people who are guilty of these very things. You can find people who are manipulating religion for their own personal gain. You can find people who are get involved, if you hear it all the time, pastors get involved in sexual sin. You can see an obsession with politics that people are getting in bed with politicians and trying to gain worldly power. The rise of a dangerous nationalism in the place of the Christian faith. And what I would say is recognize it. Recognize it first. Now God can and he does work revivals, right? And I prayed for one during the prayer just a little bit ago. Absolutely God can and does work revivals. And anything, at any point, everything could be turned around and we could head, start heading in a different direction. But here's the point. Whether he does or doesn't, you and I are called to be faithful. Our faithfulness is not dependent on the people around us. Our spiritual faithfulness to the Lord is not dependent on whether we have really good spiritual leaders and preachers. Hophni and Phinehas were certainly not that. We're called to be faithful no matter what, even in unfaithful times. There's an ebb and flow of spiritual vitality. This is definitely a, a downtime for Israel, and yet God calls Israel to be faithful. By the way, 
not to sound, I'm sounding pretty pessimistic, so let me turn it around a little bit. Um, around the globe, this isn't the case. In the global south and the global east, Christianity is on the rise and is spreading like never before. Whole countries are being transformed by the truth of the gospel, and whole peoples who have never even heard the name Jesus are being reached for the first time. There is really, really exciting things happening uh, around the world, but this is the situation where we are. Is there anyone that's faithful? <laughs> yes, there is. There's a little boy growing up in the temple named Samuel. Look with me at verse 18. We see an example of faithfulness. Uh, Samuel, of course, is Hannah's firstborn child. You may remember the story from last week. Uh, Hannah prays and asks, you remember she's infertile. She prays for, uh, to the Lord and says, Lord, if you see me, if you remember me, then I will devote this child to you. And what that essentially means in practice is, when he's old enough, I will let him grow up in the temple. He will serve you as a priest for basically his entire life. He's under, remember, the Nazarite vow. So he's not allowed to drink wine. He's not allowed to touch a dead body. And, of course, he doesn't cut his hair. So he's a young boy with, well, you can imagine, picture him with long hair growing up there in the tabernacle. And it says he's ministering before the Lord. I don't know what a young boy can do, but he's helping out. Whatever Eli wants, right? If Eli says, go get the censer, go get the censer. If you go get the bowls, get the bowls. Or maybe he's helping guide you know, people in with their goats into the right place where they know where they need to go. But he's helping out in any way he can, growing up there in the tabernacle. He's wearing an ephod, not a word we use too often, right? But an ephod basically is priestly gear you would wear uh, sort of over your robe. And his mother, Hannah, visits him every year, prays for him, loves him, of course, her and her husband, and she brings him, kind of cute, a little robe. (laughs) So he's a year older, he needs a little bit of a bigger robe. Next year, bigger and bigger as he grows into a man. And Eli has a special love for this couple, and I think here for Samuel. And he blesses them and says, may the Lord give you many kids. And by the way, so kind of a continuation, the second chapter of what happened in Hannah's life. Not only did the Lord uh, give her Samuel, but she had five other kids after that. So she was blessed with a, a full family. And then the very last verse of this whole section, uh, 26, says, Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with man and with the Lord. Very similar to what's said of Jesus in the New Testament. By the way, uh, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. He's the only one who fits all three offices, right? Well, Samuel is the prophet, priest, and judge. So he's about as close <laughs> as you can get in terms of the offices that he plays here. But what a contrast little Samuel is to Hophni and Phineas. These two older, almost brothers, maybe uncles, you could almost say, as he grows up with them. Spurgeon said, what a contrast there was between little Samuel and the sons of Eli. He was not led astray by by the evil example of those who were older than he and to whom he would naturally look up to because of their high office. This dear child escaped contamination because God's grace preserved him and also because his mother's prayers, like a wall of fire, were around him. He grows up in the presence of the Lord. Right there where the ark is, is a symbol of the presence of God. Right there in the tabernacle around the things of God. 
Again, things have become somewhat corrupt, but they're trying, there's much that's in line with the Torah and the Scripture, and he gets to witness and see it every single day of his life. Right from a very, very young age. Friends, never too young to start teaching your kids about Jesus. Never too young. He's got godly parents. That makes a huge difference in his life. Who have devoted him to the Lord, who still keep tabs, of course, and are keeping up with him. You can have godly kids from parents who don't believe. And of course you can have believing parents who have kids who don't believe. But the more natural sort of working of the Lord, we see that statistically from Christians around the world, is godly parents who love the Lord raise godly kids who love the Lord. And then Eli here is, is maybe like a grandfather. And if I could maybe psychoanalyze him just for a second, I wonder if, and we'll get to his own kids, but he knows he's blown it with his own kids, and he gets a redo as he helps raise little Samuel. And let's learn, let's learn from Samuel's example here. First of all, be faithful even, by surround, being, even if surrounded by unfaithfulness. He's in a, a family. It's going to become his family right now of non-believers, particularly his brothers, his sort of Hophni Phineas brothers. And what does Samuel do? He continues to minister to the Lord. He's not influenced by them. Certainly there's an example, it's an application for us here. Bring, bring your kids to church. <laughs> bring your kids to church. Bring them to Kid Town. Kid Town's meeting right upstairs right now. Bring them to youth group, which I know that during the pandemic we haven't been able to meet. But at youth group, at least they'll be influenced by good teachers like Dan Elliott, for example, who led our youth a few times. You know, I, I wonder if, if our kids grow up and they never see conversions. You know, they never see someone who was in rebellion against God, living in their sin, whether that was alcoholism or whatever it may be, and coming to repentance and faith and forgiveness and having their lives transformed. They never hear testimonies coming forward from the church. How will they ever understand, if you grow up in a Christian home, what it means to truly know Jesus and claim him on your own? If they never see people sent out to the mission field, sacrificing everything to go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. They never hear the stories that shape God's people that we're covering week after week after week. Put them in a place like Samuel where they're surrounded, they're saturated by the things of God. Pray for your family. Like Hannah and Elkanah. Some things are out of our control, friends. As I said, Christian parents does not equal Christian kids. Doesn't always work that way. Sometimes people quote, uh, the book of Proverbs, you raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You've got to understand that Proverbs is wisdom. It's biblical wisdom. It's, it's not promise. It's not prophecy. In general, that's how it works. So pray for your kids. Raise them up in a certain way, and then wait and see what God is doing. And I think there's maybe, with Eli here, a little application for godly grandparents, too. <laughs> uh, maybe you feel a little regret. Maybe you feel like you didn't do all that you could have done. Maybe there's an opportunity now to have that influence on your grandkids. At least be that example of someone who follows the Lord. And then we come to Eli. 
Eli the high priest. If you're like me, you kind of like Eli, right? I mean, he's not a bad, bad guy, <laughs> but he's not a faithful priest. Uh, there's a lot wrong with him. So here's what I would say. Eli is not faithless. Remember it said, Hophni and Phinehas do not know the Lord. They are completely ignorant of God, truly, relationally. I don't think we'd say that of Eli. I think we would say he's unfaithful in certain areas. He's not faithless, but he's unfaithful. He's described 22 here to 25. He is very old. Um, he, he keeps hearing reports about his sons and what they're doing. And finally, after this has been going on for how long, he decides to step in and try to do something about it. And he confronts his sons, and his response to them is weak. I mean, it's not enough. He says to them, why do you do such things? I mean, if your kids are beating people up at church and having sexual relations with people who are not their wives and are gluttonously, you know, stealing money from people, your response is not, son, why do you do such things? <laughs> that is just not enough. He says, I hear of all this evil, it is no good report. Friends, that's, that's just that's just. Too weak. I like what Spurgeon said about that. He said, gentleness is a virtue, but it's not the only virtue. <laughs> Far more should have been done here. By the way, in the next section, which we're not covering today, a man of God arrives, his name is never given, and he gives a prophecy to Eli, a prophecy of judgment, and this is among what he says in 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for dwelling and honor your sons? Above me. That's the problem with Eli. Again, he's not faithless. I mean, he's not unfaithful. He's not faithless. He's unfaithful in this area. He does say something very profound to his sons. Too little, too late, but he does say to them if one sins against man, a human being, you can find a mediator. God can forgive him. But what sons, if you sin against God who will intercede for you we do learn that don't heed this warning it's the Lord's will to put them to death we see the sovereignty of God we saw that with Hannah the Lord closed the womb here the Lord's will is to put them to death yes we are acting freely as human beings but God is still sovereign over all of it and that by the way happens soon after in the book of Samuel Eli is unfaithful Matthew Henry says, Eli shunned trouble and exertion. This led him to indulge his children without using parental authority to restrain and correct them when young. He winked at the abuses in the service of the sanctuary till they became customs and led to abominations. He's not faithless like his sons. He's not an unbeliever, but he is unfaithful. He is the high priest. There's no excuse for him. He can't, he can't sit back and let this happen and sort of laxly, passively try to pass on any responsibility. Even this rebuke here, which is too weak, should have happened years ago, should have happened far sooner. His gentle rebuke is not enough. He should have said, sons, repent. Repent from your sin and what you're doing, or you're fired, you're banished from this tabernacle. This cannot continue to happen. But he doesn't. He's got a glaring problem and that is with his kids. 
By the way, in the New Testament, this is uh, listed as a character requirement for church leadership. If you don't have your house in order, if you're not taking care of your family, it says you cannot take care of the church. So if something like this were happening in your own family, step out of church eldership, step out of pastoral ministry, and take care of your family first. Because people are going to see how things are happening in your family and say, what are you doing leading the church? You can't even take care of your own little church, your own church family. I know I'm hard on Eli, but I think we can learn a lot from him. First thing I think is, by application, is keep a close watch on your kids. Now, who of us who have kids here can say, can cast the first stone, right? Who of us can say we haven't sinned here? Who of us can say that we haven't been too lax, haven't allowed too much, or been too harsh on the other side and acted too quickly? I feel for Eli. I really do. But let's try to keep a close watch on our kids. Protect the tabernacle. <laughs> it's another application. Uh, not meaning, of course, a building there in Jerusalem, uh, but the church, the people of God. Sin needs to be dealt with. Make sure that those who are in spiritual leadership are not in active, unrepentant sin. Make sure it's dealt with. We as a church are responsible. Yes, Certainly pastors and elders are responsible, but we as a church are responsible too. Be careful who you're listening to on TBN or, or whatever not. And certainly, friends, let's learn from Eli's statement. A word, a jewel of wisdom comes out of his mouth in his old age. That if we sin against each other, maybe we can find a mediator. Maybe God will mediate if we offer sacrifice. But who then? will forgive us when we sin against God himself. In Psalm 51, David recognizes that ultimately all sin is against God himself. David, who was, we'll learn this later on, actually was a murderer and an adulterer, could say in prayer against you, you only have I sinned, O Lord, and done what is evil in your sight. What do we do with our sin against God? Is there an intercessor? As Job said, is there one who can put one hand on man and one hand on God? Little did he know that there would be indeed a high priest who would make intercession for us and for our sin against God. Friends, be faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness. I'm sure we can, as again, these are the stories that shape God's people. We can think of modern examples in all these categories, right? I've dealt with the fallout of Hophni, Hophni's and Phineas's, I guess, if you had to put it in the plural, right? I've dealt with people like that. I've dealt with the fallout of of people who have been hurt by spiritual leaders who acted completely and contrary to the scripture. I've dealt with Eli's. I've been Eli at times. Areas of my life that are not in line with the Lord, that are unfaithful. Seen Samuels, right? Who 
have known the Lord from a young age, grew up in the blessings of a Christian home. But friends, ultimately, all of them fall short. And we need this mediator. And thank God, there is indeed a mediator between God and man. There is a high priest. Certainly better than Hophni and Phinehas. Better than Eli. And more perfect than Samuel. And that is Jesus Christ. Through his death, intercedes between man and God. We put our faith and trust in him. He gets all the glory. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we, uh, we pray that you would strengthen us to be faithful. Faithful if the world is unfaithful. Faithful if those around us are faithless. And I suppose, Lord, that faithfulness begins. It starts with a recognition that we are unfaithful and that we need this mediator between God and man. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a greater knowledge and understanding than Eli could ever dream at that point in time. We, to whom the fullness of the ages have come, have the revelation of your son, Jesus, the high priest who stands between God and man. Lord, help us then in our sin to find repentance and faith. There's hope. There's hope for anyone stuck in sin. Even the sins we saw here of Hophni and Phinehas are forgiven for those who truly come to repentance and faith. Maybe, us, maybe we're feeling a bit of conviction, Lord. I know I am. Um, just thinking about Eli in areas of our own unfaithfulness. And we thank you that we have a faithful high priest who intercedes in our behalf. So as we seek to be faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness, Lord, we cling to Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.